In just one generation, the internet connected people across the globe. And now, slow news days are a thing of the past. It's a lot to keep track of, but WHIP has you covered with local, national, and international stories. Join us for a rational look at a complex world. This is Rational Radio on WHIP. You bet your bottom dollar it's Rational Radio on WHIP. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome back to the program. It's happy to have everybody here listening to uh, the news that you all care about. I am your host for the like 17th time in a row, uh, Julius. I'm joined in the studio with um, Valerie and, oh my God, I'm never going to remember anybody's name. I'm so sorry. Please, would you I'm like Amelia. to introduce yourselves? Hi, Amelia, guys. I'm Valerie. Yes, yes. Both. Uh, is this both of your uh, first times doing Rational? It's only my first time. Only your first time, but you've done Second it Second time. Okay, all right. So we do have a Rational alumni here. Um, how are you both doing today? Hopefully better than me. I haven't had my coffee this morning. Okay. It's, it's already the, it this morning, and it's 4 p.m. It's, it's 4 p.m., so it's been a really long morning. I had to give a presentation in Spanish today. Okay. And I hardly know any Spanish. Ooh, okay. So I just kind of like tried to sound very excited with everything I said so that way people would be interested. All right, yeah, so you could get you could get people paying attention. Yeah. Yeah, the only Spanish I know is from Dora the Explorer, so I mean props to you for trying. <laughs> yeah. Major throwback. <laughs> um yeah, I, it's it's been a while since I've taken a language. It's it, it can be daunting, you know, trying having to you know, work with a language, second language, it's not easy. So totally understand it. All right, everybody here at Rational Radio, as I always say, we're all news all the time, except for our intros, of course. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to be talking about a super hot story. You know, it's all we were talking about. I feel like it's all we've been talking about for the past two weeks since we came back. And it's the story that just keeps on giving. There's such a wealth of drama that's currently occurring so with much this, drama with this awful federal government shutdown i swear i i need to get like brain bleach to forget the word <laughs> shutdown it has just been like giving me wrinkles but uh so the this 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 shutdown is over of course it finished up uh but we're you know it actually reopened recently after a 35 day shutdown which has been the longest in the history of the united states but this you know, it's not a permanent fix because uh, the government will only remain open until February 15th if lawmakers are unable to reach an agreement about border wall funding. That is the uh, the key issue that caused the entire shutdown in the first place, and it's uh, threatening to cause more shutdowns. Um, in an interview with the Wall Street Journal on Sunday, President Trump stated that he was doubtful that Congress was going to be able to reach an agreement within the time frame. And he stated that the odds are, quote, less than 50-50, but you have a lot of very good people on board. Now, Trump himself stated that he's doubtful he'd accept any deal without $5.7 billion he has demanded thus far for the wall, and that another shutdown is, quote, certainly an option if this is the case because he, quote, has to do it right, end quote. He also told the Wall Street Journal that he's doubtful he'd accept a deal that trades border wall funding for citizenship for dreamers who are immigrants who came to the U.S. Uh, illegally with their parents as children who are now trying to become naturalized citizens. Um, a special committee of 17 bipartisan senators and representatives 
will spearhead the negotiations on border wall funding and immigration policies led by House Appropriations Committee Chairwoman Nita Lowy. She's a Democrat from New York, and they're going to meet for the first time this week. Uh, if, the commu- if the committee fails to negotiate the issue, Trump plans on using his emergency powers to secure the necessary funding for the wall by declaring it a national emergency. Now, if, if you remember back, if, if you listeners were there for the other Monday show, last week's Monday show, uh, Tony was there, and he brought up this concern about using um, a national emergency, the declaration of a national emergency, uh, to get funding for the border wall. And, you know, he brought up a lot of good concerns that I think we should echo here that, you know, this is this is technically within the power of the president to use these emergency powers. But is it necessarily like a, a correct way to use these powers? Is it actually a national emergency? I guess is what I'm asking. And should a president in general have those type of powers to declare such an intense thing that so much of the nation is opposed? Right, to? right, exactly. You know, it's 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 very much a bipartisan issue at this point. You know, in the in the entire, I guess I don't want to say scandal. It's a definitely a crisis. And at yeah. this point in the crisis, you know, it's a a very bipartisan. And, and it's not a crisis for the reason that Trump is pushing, too, which I think is also very important, because I think it's more of a political theory crisis than it is about the actual issue of border security. That's true. I think, uh, you know, at this point, the the danger, the supposed danger that's um, being risked by not walling up our border has been dwarfed by the economic impact of having a shutdown for 35 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think halfway through the shutdown, they were projecting that it was going to it was going to cost the economy as much money as the wall would have cost. Mm-hmm. Right. It, you know. Yeah, I saw something like in the New York Times that said it was about. They're estimating that it's about eleven billion. So. Eleven billion total. Yeah. Price yeah. tag for the shutdown. Yeah. So that's. Claps to you, U.S. Very government. Very good. <laughs> wow, you. Uh, that's amazing. Uh, congratulations, President Trump. Um, why, man? Why? I I am also nervous about like the effect that his popularity has had with this because, right. um, you know, towards the end of the shutdown and, and still going on, people were even members in his core base were starting to realize that this is inefficient, that this isn't a good way to do government, that, um, you know, both sides. And let's be honest, both sides have been obstinate. Democrats refuse to pay five point seven billion dollars. Absolutely. And he refuses to accept anything less. So, you know, nobody's really meeting anybody in the middle here. There's there's the quote unquote good faith negotiations were kind of, you know, a little bit lacking. But, you know, it all comes back to actually a tweet that Trump sent out during Obama's presidency that came back to haunt him. And he basically said that the nation I'm I'm paraphrasing it, I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said that the nation was uh, like a, a boat without a captain and that right. leaders need to lead from the top and he needs to fix this. So, you know, seeing him then surpass by a wide margin, you know, the length of that shutdown, I think is it's doing dangerous things for his popularity. Mm-hmm. You know, already the first half of his administration, I believe, has had a, a somewhat shaky popular image, you know, outside of his core fundamental base. You know, and having these sorts of uh, concerns and crises appear and be resolved in a not so efficient way 
you know, I have to wonder what that's going to do for his 2020 election plan. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. Do you do you, do either of you think that he's going to, you know, what what do you think the effect is this going to matter when uh, 2020 rolls around? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, think about although Trump like claims that he could like, quote, go out and like shoot somebody on Fifth Avenue and still get support. I think that people regret voting for him. And I think that um, like there is going to be consideration whether he did get anything done for the better because he did um, part of his promise in getting elective was being proactive as opposed to other politicians. But we see him here, you know, getting stuck in the kind of politician ways because it's hard to be a politician certainly and also i think one of his biggest like the one of the biggest things that he did for the government and is during his administration is try to repair the economy and look at how we slaughtered that progress over the past month right i think we're gonna have uh zero growth for the first quarter of 2018 because of the shutdown mm-hmm. because of the uh, economic impact it had so you know for the the candidate that appears on the surface to be pro-business you know he is the businessman he is the deal maker right yeah. To see this sort of negative impact on the economy, you know, at least in part due to his own obstinance, his inability to resolve this problem with Democrats. Or be a politician. Right. Because he's a businessman. Right, exactly. You know, and I mean, we have reopened the government, but this is only a stopgap measure until we're actually able to confront the issues that started it in the first place. So absolutely. And I think it's so petty that he would go and reopen the government with such a closed mind that he's like that. He's literally saying that he's doubtful that he'd accept anything besides what he wants. Yeah, because there's no point then. And it's just I don't know. The whole thing just seems so pointless to me. And I'm very nervous about it. So it's it's done. And I keep talking about his his, uh, you know, public approval ratings, Mm -hmm. but it's done. Uh, his his core, I think 80% of Republicans are okay with the job that he's done as president, or they have 80% of them agree with him. But he has lost a massive amount of support from moderates, from independents. Right. And those are the people who helped him carry Pennsylvania and Florida mm-hmm. in the 2016 mm-hmm. election. Like, this is a major uh, source of votes for those crucial electoral college votes. And to see him sort of eroding his own power base through these scandals, through these actions— through some of the, you know, the the discourse that he engages with, you know, day to day on Twitter, you know, sort of the the way that he's uh, portrayed himself as president, it's it makes me nervous for his reelection chances. And this country likes to reelect its politicians. Right. We really like to reelect our presidents and especially our senators and congressmen. Like we we like to, you know, incumbents have a definite advantage in this system, but. Uh, with so much self-sabotage that's going on, I feel uh, he's severely dampening his chances to get reelected and, and keep America great. I think that's the slogan for 2020, yeah. keep America great. <laughs> it's keep America great, not make America great. Kappa, Kaga. Uh, uh, you know what? Kaga. You got to, you gotta. how about keep America open? How about keep yeah, the let's government open? Keep- let's keep people getting paychecks who work for the government. I'd vote I'd Honestly. vote for that candidate. I'd vote for the candidate who says, <laughs> I will pay the federal employees. Says, All right. You got my <laughs> That's vote. That's the only good thing coming out of reopening the government right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I also realistically don't see how a border wall would be the kind of protection that would be good because, of course, there are all... I mean, I'm, I mm-hmm. think you guys discussed this last week, that there are different ways that people immigrate and it's not just like running through the desert and, you know, how 
they're taking such a stereotypical like um portrayal of like illegal immigration and then building policies off of that is like so ancient you know i feel like that's something that would happen in the 1940s and I think it's important to acknowledge, too, that none of those southwestern states actually want the wall. I read a report on this today, and the support for the wall is coming from places like South Dakota, who have no reason to be concerned about, like, immigration in their, like, as, a, like, a, an immediate threat to their well-being or anything like that, or to their job security or to anything. Exactly. That's, you know, that's funny. I hadn't even, I haven't even heard about that. I didn't check any, you know, public relation polls uh, based on, like, geographic closeness to the wall you know versus Mm -hmm. how much they wanted it but um my main issue with the wall is and it's been said before but it's just a it's a bad policy it's a policy that's been designed to fight a problem that exists only in the heads of people the minds of people who are afraid of illegal immigrants that don't actually understand the situation don't understand the mechanisms for how these people are you know quote unquote, slipping in here and, you know, getting us, you know, they're, 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 you know, physically getting themselves in here. It's very much not, you know, running across the desert in the middle of the night, dodging sentry lights and men with machine guns. You know, it's not, it's not that way. That's not the main mechanism for people to get in here and, and, uh, you know, take advantage of our uh, lax immigration. It's, it's definitely not that. If you really wanted to fix the problem in this nation with, illegal immigration and there are you know 11 million there's a very significant number of people who are not legal immigrants you know if you really wanted to reform that i think and this is what the democrats have been calling for is more funding for uh the immigration judges right (laughs) their caseloads have been like chronically overworked since george bush's presidency right they have not They've been they've been working extremely hard to do their job, but they don't have the resources. They don't have the the manpower simply to uh, actually complete their job. So if you really wanted to spend five point seven billion dollars on border security, there's a much better way to spend that money and to just put up a wall. The people are going to ignore, you know, yeah. they're, they're not coming in through the wall. If you're going to cross the border illegally, you know, if you're actually going to cross the border illegally, you're probably going to do it in a semi. Mm-hmm. You know, like at a port of entry. So a wall is not going to stop that. A or wall like, is... it's, meta- it's me- like it's a symbol. <laughs> right, yeah. And that's... it's pointless to spend $5.7 billion on the symbol. That is an excellent thought. I want you to keep that in your heads as we go into this next commercial break. Uh, stay tuned. We're going to be talking more politics. Uh, not any more wall, hopefully, but we're <laughs> no going to be talking wall. more politics. Uh, stay tuned. Very good. Uh, welcome back, everybody, to Rational Radio. I'm your host, Julius Toth. I just had to uh, muscle out power couple Jay-Z and Beyonce. Beyonce? Oh, my God. There's something wrong with my brain. <laughs> you got it. You it. could do it. Yeah. Beyonce. Jay-Z and Beyonce, part yeah. two. That was that song. 2013, good year for music. Um, but we're off of that now, and we're back talking about the political news that you are hungry for. So let's get right into it. Um We've got some pretty optimistic news, I think, coming out of Afghanistan, which I got to say, that's a pretty rare sentence to say. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think we've heard that in 17 years. In in a very long time, yeah. So um, the U.S. and the Taliban agree in principle to a peace framework 
that has been established. This is coming out of the New York Times and the BBC. Um, American and Taliban officials agreed on principle to draft a deal where Taliban officials would ensure that Afghan territory would not be used by terrorists. This could potentially allow for the full pullout of American troops in exchange for larger concessions from the Taliban. Now, the chief negotiator for this deal is an individual called Zalmay Khalilzad, who's officially a U.S. diplomat and the special representative for Afghanistan reconciliation at the Department of State. He's basically the guy who's trying to end the massive civil war that's been occurring in Afghanistan for, I mean, decades at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he and U.S. negotiators spent six days in Qatar last week talking uh, through this negotiation with representatives of the Taliban. Now, he says that these concessions must include the Taliban agreeing to a ceasefire and also opening up direct lines of communication with the Afghan government. Historically, in the past, uh, they've been against these demands. Um, and the Afghan president, Ashraf Ghani, has made new calls within the last week, very recently, for direct discussions with the Taliban. But uh, he says that they've re- refused him so far, and they've actually dismissed the entire uh, government of Afghanistan as puppets. Uh, they don't recognize their legitimacy legitimacy which is why they're having a civil war um just as a little bit of bit of a background the taliban actually controlled afghanistan from 1996 to 2001 um this ended after the united states went in there after 9-11 we took a lot of their territory and and reinstated democracy in a large area of the nation but uh, ever since then we've of course been in there with boots on the ground reinforcing uh the administration that the United States and most of the rest of the world acknowledges as the rightful, um, I guess, government of Afghanistan. Uh, Khalilzad went further and he said, quote, the Taliban have committed to our satisfaction to do what is necessary that would prevent Afghanistan from ever becoming a platform for international terrorist groups or individuals, end quote. And this means that they've agreed to not protect groups like al-Qaeda on Afghan territory. Now, typically, historically, certainly, they have uh, provided support to these uh, other uh, fighters of jihad that they have uh, contacts with. Famously, uh, Osama bin Laden actually hid in Afghanistan. Uh, We tried to get him in the attack on Tora Bora. It was this big, like, assault. We dropped a ton of bombs on this mountain. But he escaped into Pakistan, so we didn't really get him. But uh, Al-Qaeda uh, and, uh, and the Taliban have had a history of working together. So to hear this rhetoric come from uh, the Taliban is, is uh, surprising, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Taliban have said that they will only commit to negotiating with the Afghan government once a firm date for troop withdrawal has been established. So there is the catch, of course. They want to know when we are going to pull out our material support. They want to know when it's just going to be them and the proper Afghani government uh, alone in Afghanistan. Um, so what I want to know is this has been a problem brewing for, you know, obviously decades through multiple administrations, Republican and Democrat. And I think every administration has taken a different approach to handling this complex issue. Um I haven't heard Donald Trump talk much about his opinion of the Taliban and these peace talks, but 
I'm kind of wondering maybe that's a good thing because we seem to be getting some headway. And <laughs> I, I'm nervous of him using his normal style of diction to kind of uh, inflame some emotions, insult them maybe, and then we're back to square one. Is there an actual concern of that happening, do you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that, like, the whole fire and fury thing was bad. But at the same time, I was surprised because then he met with Kim Jong in person and i think that there's hope right um but of course how trump handles things never ceases to disappoint me it's never guaranteed he's a he's a major x factor he's like a child actor you never know what's gonna happen (laughs) that's funny i that that would make a great like disney movie child president (laughs) oh i don't know how that was like baby boss yeah, exactly. Yeah. Alec Baldwin. Yeah. <laughs> Although I think Alec Baldwin just looks like a normal president. It would have to be animated. But um, no, you know, it's funny that you mention about North Korea and Kim Jong Un because I mean, at this point in his presidency, I completely forgot that he met with Kim. I I just totally slipped my mind. But you know, that is an example. That that's that's interesting because he was very vitriolic on Twitter when he was discussing. He called him Little Rocket Man. Right. You know, he was very, you know, personally insulting him, but then they were able to sit down. And this is a Kim that we're talking about. Like, they hate America. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, hate with capital H and a capital H. Like, they don't, they, <laughs> to hear, to see them, I don't even know if a president has met with uh, one of the Kims in, at all. No, I don't I, remember I, ever I'm, hearing about I'm it. I'm pretty so. sure it was the first time. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he has, I guess, proven himself capable of pulling off these high-level diplomatic talks, you know, and certainly we've seen a lot of those high diplomatic talks with Vladimir Putin, so he must really be good at it. But um, <laughs> um, I think that's a little more than diplomatic. Uh, yeah, yeah, he's meeting his handler. Uh, if you <laughs> the would love believe, story of the century. If you would believe love Robert story. Mueller, yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, I am optimistic for Afghanistan. This civil war has been really racking this nation's economy and infrastructure. It's been difficult to have any sort of quality of life, especially in the regions controlled by the Taliban. They are, I mean, it's its miserable, to say the least, um, the way that they run the country. You know, it's its the, the human rights abuses that are going on. Um, if we have an easy way to end this, if they're starting to open up and they're starting to say, all right, you know, for whatever reason, we've decided this situation is untenable and we are tired of war and we need to, you know, start getting into these negotiations with, uh, you know, the puppet government, as they claim. You know, anything that gets the killing to stop, I think, is important. So I think the thing that I'm most concerned about with it is just that we know that every administration so far over the past however however many decades has had such a different approach in learn in just trying to handle this and trying to get it to a place where it's controllable. So what like this is obviously not going to be solved by the time that Trump is out of office. So how is the next administration going to handle this? And because I feel like this is one of the biggest leaps in terms of progress that we've made in a very very long time. So like what's going to happen next and how is it going to be handled from here? I would hope that, you know, I honestly hope that Trump ignores us and that he allows, uh, like, his underlings to delegate the responsibility for determining how these negotiations play out 
instead of him getting his hand in the honey pot and trying to you know force it or whatever mm-hmm. i think that um if it's just not even on the like necessarily on the president's radar if he's focusing on other things and he lets the the bureaucrats at the state department organize the negotiations i trust uh, the, the, the faceless cogs in the machine that make our republic work. I think that they know what they're doing because it's their job, of course, you know, to to engage with this high-level international diplomacy right. with, you know, very real and very, uh, you know, tense possible outcomes, right? This mm-hmm. very tense situation that we see in Afghanistan. So I think if we get our people on it, and also we're relying on the Taliban to, to come to the negotiating table in good faith. You know, yeah. I'm not necessarily certain why they are, uh, you know, all of a sudden opening up so rapidly. I mean, this is we've been at war for you know 17 years. This is more than we've ever gotten from mm-hmm. them. These <laughs> these negotiations and especially the concessions that have just been made. You know, it's it's it, it's interesting to me. I'm I'm nervous to see how this all plays out. But um, I think that if everybody keeps their cool. Uh, and, and and is is friendly, you know, uh, and negotiates in good faith. I think we could see a withdrawal from Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. So, and that would definitely be good for the United States because we're spending a lot of money and a lot of uh, good American lives in Afghanistan trying to solve the security situation there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's Afghanistan is such an awful place to fight. It really is throughout history the. Any empire that's tried to go into Afghanistan has just been, like, pushed out. You know, the Soviets tried to do it in, was that the 70s or the 80s? They went in Afghanistan. I don't know. I'm pretty sure it was, like, the 70s. 70s, yeah. But I might be wrong. Uh, Yeah, it was sometime. But, like, it's just the hard part about finding a war in Afghanistan is that it's just mountains. There's just, like, Mm -hmm. mountains for days. You can't really get troops around efficiently. Um you know, even the Soviets fixed that by using helicopters, and we use helicopters as well. But you know, the RPG sevens have been invented, so you can just shoot the helicopters down. It's 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 a it's a dirty war. It's a very difficult war to fight. So to see an end to the conflict now, you know, in sight, at least closer than we've ever been is. Yeah, I think this is the closest we've been in around nine years. Right. Yeah. So. So. That does that does make me happy. I'm I'm happy to see it. I would like to see you know obviously a negotiation to end this the you know ceasefire right to actually end the killing. But um, I think it would be a very delicate procedure to reintegrate the Taliban into the government of mm-hmm. Afghanistan. You know perhaps as an official party the way that we uh, uh, incorporated Sinn Fein into the uh, Republic of Ireland after the troubles were over. Um, mm-hmm. You know, give them a little bit of political power so they have a an avenue to express themselves without rounding people up and shooting them. And I know that um, it's definitely there's a lot of confusion on that front right now about what the Taliban's role is going to be with the government in terms of balancing that relationship as these negotiations move forward. Because during the um, during the Afghan president's um, plea that he issued earlier last week, he said that he was afraid of the freedoms that could be lost if the Taliban shares governmental power and especially focusing on things like the rights of women because of the Taliban's history of brutality. But um, uh, Khalilzad um, denied this that there was ever any discussion with the Taliban about future governance in Kabul. 
Um, and so I think that the diplomats just across the board are kind of a, like not quite sure of how the Taliban is going to fit into the political spectrum moving forward with, uh, moving forward with Afghanistan. Right. Yeah. But I think it would be better if they had them participate in some way so that way they could hold the Taliban accountable mm -hmm. to an agreement and regulation that might be a little bit safer. And I think it's like I think it's not possible at this point to completely erase them or anything like that because they've just played too large of a role. Certainly not. You know, a major part of the, the, the internal politics of Afghanistan is not like, you know, what we're accustomed to here in the United States is very much drawn along tribal lines. And these are tribes that have been, you know, going back for years, you know, uncountable years. You know, it's it's very much a way of life for these people. And when uh, lines get drawn in the sand along political boundaries, it typically falls, you know, along these 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 tribal boundaries. So, you know, when we say the Taliban, we're really referring to, you know, the collective of, um, you know, the war chiefs and the, the tribal leaders who, you know, give their support to the idea of the Taliban, right? It's not necessarily, you know, uh, it, it is it is a lot of people. So in order to successfully reincorporate them into Afghan political society without having the concern of, oh, they're going to reinstate their uh, narrow view of Sharia law again and start banning women from schools, you know, that's definitely going. I think that the way that we're going to be able to resolve that is by writing provisions into the Constitution mm -hmm. to uh, safeguard some of these human rights. But when we start doing that, I'm nervous at what the Taliban are going to say. Like, hey, you're just you're just you're, you're going to give us this new system in which to operate. And now we're not going to be able to do what we want. What's the point? And then they're going to pick their rifles up again. You know, so right. I don't know. I hope it I hope it resolves itself. I don't think it will, though. I think it's going to take a lot of elbow grease from a lot of uh, very good negotiators. Um, but we'll check back in another 17 years here on Rational Radio, and we'll do another special <laughs> yeah. report on how Afghanistan is doing. For now, we're going to see how Trey Songs is doing with his 2014 smash hit, Na Na. You know you like it. Uh, check it out. Here's some music. We'll be back in a couple minutes. And we're back uh, here on Rational Radio. You're listening to uh, us on WHIP, Philly's number one college radio station, uh, beaming at you through satellites from our campus, uh, main campus at North Philadelphia on Broad Street. Um, we've been talking all day. Uh, first, we talk about the greatest businessman in the history of the planet, Donald Trump. And then we talked about um, some issues in Afghanistan and some possible optimism regarding that situation. And now uh, we're going to beat another dead horse and talk all about <laughs> Brexit. Um, I say that because I feel like a lot of times that I'm on, I like to talk about Brexit. It's something that interests me because, you know, it's it's a major geopolitical event with uh, ramifications that we will we we already do not understand. You know, it's 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 a major problem. And the United Kingdom is sort of like faltering to deal with it. They're really not doing a good job of doing this whole Brexit thing. Um, so I just want to talk a little bit more about Brexit's implications for uh, Ireland. Uh, specifically, we've got this story coming uh, at us from the Independent across the pond. Uh, Northern Ireland business leaders clamor for Brexit deal. So, of course, Brexit is going to happen within two months, I think. It's, it's coming yeah, it's up. Yeah, in March. March, March 28th or 
something. I think so. I'm the end of March. <laughs> end of March, uh, the United Kingdom will no longer be a member of the European Union. Uh, and currently, there is no deal in place to delineate how the United Kingdom will successfully withdraw from the European Union. That we haven't, I say we, I don't know why I said we. Uh, they, <laughs> they have not uh, negotiated any sort of, uh, internally negotiated any sort of uh, logical step by step plan to withdraw from the European Union. And this is bad news for businesses in the United Kingdom who deal internationally, especially for those who uh, have business dealings with other European Union nations. Um, you know, they, they don't have any idea of how they're going to be able to conduct their business because the treaties that are in place to govern the conduct of businesses in the European Union, that economic zone, um, are no longer going to apply because the, the European, you know, the United Kingdom is no longer a member of that governing body. So those treaties no longer apply and they need to reestablish all these new, you know, figure out the levels for tariffs and, you know, all this boring business stuff. And a lot of business people in uh, Ireland are extra, extra concerned about this because, uh, you know, a key part of the economy of Ireland is the open border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland, which, of course, is the U.K., uh, the border is open now because they're both members of the EU, and um, basically anybody can cross it, and and business businesses can conduct business across it without you know much interference from the government. Um, but once the United Kingdom withdraws and Brexit is complete, you know, a major question is what's going to happen to this border, and because there's no cohesive uh, Brexit deal. Uh, it's it's a very huge question mark for a lot of um, uh, businessmen in Northern Ireland. Um, so a group of Irish businessmen are going to meet with members of the government and urge them to vote for Theresa May's plan. And this is the plan. Um, you know, she she tried her first plan and it failed, and she's going to offer a new one. And these businessmen are being like, they they basically are saying whatever plan this is, you have to vote for it. Um, a very good quote here is coming from um, Odhan Connolly. He's the director of the Northern Ireland Retailers Consortium. And his quote is, uh, we need a deal. The alternative is fiscal chaos, end quote. So fiscal chaos, I'm sure you can imagine, not very good for business, not very good for consumers. Um, he actually predicts that there will be increases in prices across the nation not just in Northern Ireland, due to increased tariffs on uh, moving items around. So I guess my main question is, you know, we, we are two months away from Brexit, within 60 days, and there's still no plan, no cohesive strategy to actually withdraw the United Kingdom from the European Union. Why? Why? Why would the the government of the United Kingdom let this happen and basically sit on it for two years without thinking about this problem and now have this issue rear itself, rear its ugly head, you know, right before the uh, the Brexit actually happens? I mean, shouldn't all of this have been established beforehand? Like, what were they thinking? Mm-hmm. There's yeah. a look of complete confusion in the studio because yeah. 
I mean, yeah. Nobody like, there's, knows, there's, right? There's no way to define what they were thinking. It almost like it does almost remind me of the wall in some ways where it's like it's something that it's just been saying, people have been saying for so long that it's going to happen and they've been talking about it and talking about it but never actually defining it or clearly creating a plan for it. So now we're here and this is like the deadline that everyone's, it's March 29th, it's happening no matter what, but there's no plan. And so it's just like, I think it's just kind of killing me to see all of the parallels right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could also be kind of like political disregard. Like, it's not a priority to the UK to do, to make this kind of border to them. Um, so, I mean, it is kind of crazy that they're doing that, but I, I imagine that they'll come up with a plan, a temporary plan, and then work on it later. Like, my guess is that they're going to be like, okay, we're going to do this for the few, first few months, and then we'll put attention towards that. Do you think there's a possibility of them uh, signing legislation that effectively uh, moves forward, the, or rather pushes back the Brexit date? Do you think that there's any way that they could negotiate that with the European Union? Because I'm sure that the EU is not excited about this happening either. You They're know, not. This is going to cause pandemonium across the continent. Mm-hmm. So, you know, do, do you think that there would be any possibility of that to happen? Or, you know, is Article 50 set in stone and it's it's going to happen March 29th? March 29th. Yeah. I just looked it up. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that they could ask for a deadline to push it back because I don't see how they could pull like a good thing together. So definitely something like temporary. I think I think there's going to be some sort of temporary law passed. Right. There has to be. Like that's that's the only solution I can think of right now that's sustainable in any way, shape, or form. Because they're they're not really on track to get an actual agreement signed. Certainly Theresa May's proposal failed spectacularly. Uh, <laughs> yes it and did. It, it was attacked by both sides. It was attacked by the the people who want to remain in the EU. And it was also attacked, you know, quite paradoxically by people who supported Brexit for not going far enough on the, the question of the Irish border. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's it's it, the current administration is caught in this, you know, in-between position. They're caught in between these two, um, you know, political movements and these political ideologies that are not really going to, you know, harmonize very well, I think. It's going to be very hard to find an agreement that both sides agree on. Because this is a very black and white thing. You can't compromise on this. It's either you pull out of the European Union or you don't. So I think I think the administration does need to take a much firmer position on this. Mm -hmm. And it's beyond even the the question of whether or not they're going to pull out. Article 50, that was what the uh, referendum in 2014 was for, not 2014, whenever, you know, two years ago. Uh, that's what the referendum was for to uh, to leave or remain, and they 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 already voted for it. Mm-hmm. I'm surprised that that made it to the the public. I'm surprised that that wasn't you know like fully within the House of Commons, you know, within yeah. Parliament. Um, I I feel like I also fundamentally don't understand where this uh, this anti-European sentiment came from. I know there's certainly like the UKIP. Um, there are nationalist groups within um, the United Kingdom who perhaps don't they, they, they resent the, the political ties that they have to the continent, you know, in Brussels. But, you know, t- I, I just don't understand how so many people were convinced that this was the way to go, mm-hmm. even with all of the economic projections saying, 
you know, how bad this would be for the economy and, you know, the, the, the price increases that are going to happen. And they just kind of looked past it and they were like, eh, no, we don't want to, we don't want to stay. We want to go. <laughs> I don't I, I just, I just, I feel like there was a, there's a fundamental disconnect for me. Yeah. I don't no, understand I where this became like a reasonable course of action. Mm-hmm, you know? mm-hmm. But um, it's funny because, it, and I said 2014 because in 2014, uh, Scotland had an independence referendum. Right. Right. And they oh, voted. Yeah. I forgot about that. They voted no on that. I think it would be hilarious if both things voted yes so that Scotland was still in the <laughs> European Union. Yeah. I don't know if that would retroactively apply to Scotland. I hope it wouldn't, but that would be, I think that would just be like, that would be strange to look out on a map. It yeah, would, you know, if you really like a geopolitical map of of uh, you know the English Isles, it's just mishmash of colors. But mm-hmm. um, and I definitely think that like it's there's like a whole like kind of fundamental xenophobia thing, like mm-hmm. a xenophobic mm-hmm. virus going around the world, especially with like how, like you said, Amelia, we have the border wall situation, and both of these like Brexit and the border wall have underlying concerns about immigration and, you know, how the EU is letting citizens come, responding to Syrian refugee crises and other refugee crises around the world. So I think it's kind of interesting that we have this response of people being like, don't come into my country. Mm-hmm. Whereas as we know, I mean, maybe it's a different case in England, but in the U.S., like nobody is native here except for. Um, um, well, I think it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, the the refugee crisis, and I didn't even connect the dots. The reason, a main reason that gave the uh, uh, the Leave voters uh, boost in morale was uh, this 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 basically occurred at the height of the refugee crisis in Europe when. You know, Germany was taking in 1.1 million refugees and the members of the European Union had to distribute the refugees, you know, to the different member countries. So there was a large influx of uh, refugees in Europe and a lot of nationalist groups were, you know, xenophobic groups were put off by this and said, hey, why are we supporting these people, these foreigners? They don't speak our language. They don't understand our customs. Why? What the heck? Why are you doing this? So um, I guess within that context, it actually makes more sense that people were, you know, concerned because they played to those fears. Right. They're like, hey, the European Union is going to force migrants into your homes and you're going to have to support them while they, you know, commit crimes. And it's like Mm -hmm. it's such a ridiculous situation, but it's so easy to play on people's fears of the unknown you know, the fears of the different xenophobia has been a, a particularly nasty uh, human virus that's been going around since well, since forever, I mean, <laughs> since, yeah, forever since, yeah. since people were meeting people who were different than I was going to say, um, you can trace this back to like the Roman Empire and earlier. Yeah, like, this is definitely no historically new trend or anything like Certainly. that. You could trace this all the way back to the Bible. You know? Yeah. And people... it's like you'd think that for something that we've been dealing with for so long, we'd have a better solution by now. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny because the problem itself, you know, begets the solution. We can't solve it as long as we're afraid to talk to other people. Right. You know, in, in so far as, you know, even if it, actually talking to people and having a dialogue would be the end of the xenophobia. But people are, uh, 
you know, I guess in this case especially, they're just more content to um, just say, no, we're going to shrug mm-hmm. off our responsibilities and withdraw from the European Union. Yeah, and definitely maintain power because also, you know, England has a history of like always being kind of separate from Europe and very sovereign of mm-hmm. other nations. So um, I read a Fortune article that suggests that they also could be wanting to go back to that and keeping their own rule Britannica. Yeah, which is very old school. But if you think about it, also part of xenophobia is people identifying with themselves, trying to fight for and maintain power. Right. Yeah, that's um, man. Well, withdrawing from the European Union is not going to bring the British Empire back. Um, I'm sorry for all you <laughs> British Empire fans, but that ship has kind of sailed. Um, it's going to be really hard to reclaim all your colonies because they're, like, independent now. So you can try. Great problem. <laughs> you can try. Anybody can try anything, but I don't I don't think it's going to work. Um, but, yeah, Brexit's happening. Uh, there's a lot of problems in the world, but uh, it's a good thing that you're coming to Rational Radio and getting informed on all of them and hearing our takes, our hot takes on all these hot-button issues. Uh, but I think that's all the time we have for today. Join us next time when we talk about something different. Um, I am Julius Toth, and this has been your Rational Radio for Monday. You're listening to us on WHIP Radio, Philly's number one college radio station. I will see you later. I'm going to leave you with this awesome PSA. Uh, it's called PSA Opportunity Alicia. I don't know what it is. It's going to surprise us both. Check it out.